0: This podcast is a presentation of University of California Television. Like
1: what you hear? Consider making a donation at uctv.tv slash donate so we can continue to bring you more great programs. Welcome, everybody, today to this 12th uh, Future Thought Leader panel that we host as part of Berry Good Food in conjunction with UCTV. My name is Michelle ciccarelli Lerac. I am the Founder uh, of the Very Good Night Dinner, which was a little bit the genesis of all of this, and out of that sprang the Very Good Food Foundation. I'm the host of this interesting little program, and um, I'm also I'm a lawyer. I'm an advocate, ag with a g, and I uh, was the executive producer of Kiss the Ground, a full length feature documentary that I hope you've watched and if you haven't, I'll recommend to you, which is really the story of regeneration, regenerative agriculture, and how saving the soil might just save all of us. And in a minute, we'll talk about the follow-up film that has just come out, uh, Common Ground. In fact, we have one of the stars of that show <laughs> on stage with us today. So let me now introduce the much more interesting people that are on stage with me. So I'm going to start. We're in alphabetical order. I'm going to go right to left. At my far right, we have Bea Alvarez. She's a climate resilience specialist. She's a founding member of Foodshed, which is a small farm co-op here in San Diego, founded in 2020. Uh they work to increase access to healthy food, address food insecurity, and empower small farms. And to date they have provided over fifteen hundred hours of mentorship and business opportunities in that context. Thanks for coming, B, and we're very bea, perdon. And we're happy to have you. Next we have Lily Foster. Lily is the founder of Fenix Farms in Mexico City. She just flew in today to be with us. She's a food system and agricultural specialist. She designs agricultural solutions for individuals, groups, governments, companies against climate change and using regenerative agricultural practices. Next, we have Leslie Krupa. Did I say that right? Bravo. Uh, She's a policy specialist with Roots of Change. She is responsible for identifying and analyzing policy issues related to nutrition, health, and regenerative agriculture at the local, state, and federal level using both a health equity and a food system framework. And you're going to discover today that we'll be talking about regeneration in a much broader context than just simply agriculture, but in an agricultural context, a health and wellness context, and in a community context, because there is a common thread, as it turns out. Next on my right is Chris Magnuson. She's with Vinos Chuza in the Valle de Guadalupe. She is the owner and winemaker. Uh, it was started by her parents in 2005. Sí. And she took over in 2013. They're committed to sustainable farming at the vineyard. They use regenerative practices, and she can talk a little bit about the work she does there. And interestingly, I didn't know this about you, that you attended culinary school in Santa Barbara before deciding to take on the family business of growing wine in the Valle. People have so many layers, don't they? (laughs) Okay, and on my left is Elle Mari. Elle is the director of the Urban Food Equity at the University of excuse me, University of California at San Diego. They don't like you to say UCSD, but it's kind of a mouthful otherwise. UCSD (laughs) Center for Community Health, which develops projects with urban farms, food pantries, and local food hubs to improve equitable access to good food. You can see a common thread happening here in the dialogue that we'll be having today. Next, we have Keiko Nishikawa. She is the public relations manager of Santo Tomas Winery It is the first winery to be established in Baja, planting their first vines in 1791. Like... That's a long time ago <laughs> for the western part of the, this landmass. Uh, she participated in the development at Finca La Carrodilla, which was the first organic and biodynamic winery in the Valle. I didn't know that until I read that today. She's born and raised in Ensenada, and we're happy to have three people who came up from Mexico today. So thank you very much for being. And finally, last but not least, <laughs> my good friend Mia Vaughan. She is an urban farmer. She's the founder of Good Neighbor Gardens, which establishes and uh, maintains urban edible gardens in homeowners' yards and school. I first met Mia. She was gleaning from others' gardens to put together a CSA box to fund school, school gardens, like a brilliant concept. It's that kind of out of the box thinking that's made her the success and the organization that she founded as successful as it is. She's also been a, she also is a participant in the 100 Million Acres Initiative, which is a coalition pledging to transform at least 10% of the earth, of our farmland, to regenerative agriculture. And finally, she is one of the featured uh, people in the follow-up film to Kiss the Ground called Common Ground, and she can probably tell you a little bit of that. I think it might have been filmed at my house. Yes, it was. All right, there you go. (laughs) All things are interrelated. So it's interesting, as we were preparing ourselves for this panel today, and everyone said, well, you're going to define regenerative, you're going to define regeneration. So So I took a moment, and I looked it up in the Cambridge Dictionary, which defined regenerative as growing or being or grown again, or also as improvement of place, system, active, successful, happier, more positive. And then I decided that, you know, regeneration applies in many contexts. It's often, I think, not wholly accurately used as a substitute for sustainable or recycled, which it does include, but it's not inclusive enough. Um, It's also used for specific practices, for example, in agriculture like no-till. Again, that is part of it, but it is not the whole story. Um, It's also used for mindsets, belief systems, such as indigenous practices, knowledge, and learning. I think regenerative thinking is really about a fundamental shift in thought and action and how we approach these problems of the day from how we grow our food, how we maintain the land, how we serve our communities, how we maintain the health of our communities and the environment of large, and how we take the knowledge of traditional and old and sort of more uh, holistic practices and bring them into the new era in a way that really makes sense. So I want to see who wants to take their first stab at how they define regenerative in the context of their own Work. Leslie, I know you were thinking about it. You want to tell me? Because <laughs> oh, we had this sure, combo. Sure. Well, yeah. i got to poke at the beginning to get him going, and pretty soon I won't be right. able to stop him. <laughs> right, right.
2: Uh, thanks, Michelle. So as a fellow lawyer, I like a good, defined <laughs> term, statutory, contractually defined term. Uh, but this regenerative term is a new and evolving ter- term. And I think we need to give ourselves grace in how we all kind of come to a consensus and what that means. And for better or worse, I think we are going to need to come to a consensus on what that means. And so right now, here in California, we are the first state who is trying to statutorily define what regenerative means. The California Department of Food and Agriculture, led by Secretary Karen Ross, is leading a listening session right now. So anyone in this room can call up, all mm-hmm. us panelists can call up and say, hey, you know what? Please consider X, Y, mm-hmm. and Z. And why this is important is um, from a commercial standpoint we just wanna prevent the issue of greenwashing, right? We just wanna make sure that folks who use this term and benefit from this term.
1: And does everyone um, understand greenwashing? greenwashing? Sort of like we all understand a lot of terms get used natural and holistic and the words that aren't legally defined and and sometimes natural really isn't so natural. So we made a very firm definition of organic. That's what we're trying to do in the state or they're trying to do in the state of California right now for regenerative Mm -hmm. for that very good reason. Sorry to interrupt you. No, perfect. So,
2: so I would just <laughs> encourage you all to, based on your experience, um, to to share your opinions with the CDFA um, and help shape uh, how that term is defined here in California. Because California really is a leader as California goes. So does the rest of the country. Um, and, and I think then, often exactly. the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, exactly. when we have the opportunity here if we can really do a better job of of you know setting standards and even you know flipping the agricultural system as i say rudimentarily from good to uh, from bad to good that we can change the we can change not only california but the united states and ultimately the world because we can show that there is a model that is more regenerative and yet can be successful and people can survive and thrive in that environment exactly exactly so the only other thing i would add is i think also just for all of the folks in the room
2: involved in organic agriculture and our certified organic farmers just a reminder that the term organic was not defined by the federal government until the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So this is really recent work. So this is all mm-hmm. evolving and we just all need to to, to work together to, to find consensus on, on how we want to handle it going forward.
1: Anybody else
3: want to chime in on there? i love to yes. take a stab at it. <laughs> uh,
1: I'll see you over there. That's right.
3: Give <laughs> me, let me in, let me in. Anyway, um, you know, we wrote our own curriculum to, to administer in elementary schools. And the curriculum is an eight-a-week lesson, basically, for the schools to take on. And we've had the privilege to administer this curriculum in 16 schools here in San Diego, elementary schools. And the very first lesson is about what are the five things that every living organism, and they learn what an organism is. Mm -hmm. um, What are those five things that are necessary for the organism to thrive and not just survive? So... Y'all know what they might be. Come on, bring it. Okay. <laughs> so we say air, right? And air essentially is making space. If we're mm-hmm. talking about soil, it's making space. So we're creating new space. That's regenerative. Uh, water, making sure that things can flow. You know, when we started Good Neighbor Gardens, it was back in 2013, and everybody was pretty atomized then. You know, it was the mead, We're just coming out of the me generation. Mm. And, you know, this intercon- the idea of interconnectedness and that we are a people of abundance was really not, you know, universally understood. So to create a flow for people to actually get in where they fit in, that's really important. That's regeneration. We talk about sun, right? We need to shed light. We need to be able to bring things into light, which would otherwise not be considered in our in our consciousness, in our regular culture, um, so all of the things that we, I'll, I'll give you the other two, but I want you to be thinking as I'm giving you these five things that every living organism needs to thrive and not just survive. I want you to be thinking that there is uh, spiritual wisdom to every natural fact, right? And so we can translate, if the kids, or if, us all being kids, can, <laughs> can identify with the plant, identify with other living organisms, these things that are needed, then they can grow and they can generate New energy, or if you look at regenerate, it's the same letters as energy, mm. right? So re energizing is really what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring those connections of thought and identification and association. So what are the other two things? Nutrients, and we say it like this: nutrients. <laughs> so if you walk onto any of our school campuses, they're all walking around going nutrients, right? So we need wisdom, right? Yeah. Nutrients, wisdom, not just not just. Um, Intellectualism, but mm-hmm. spiritual wisdom, mm-hmm. and then we also need love. Love, mm. you know, um, and love is really about what can I do for the for the good of someone else or something else? And to the extent that they can identify themselves as a living organism, which, by the way, is a collection of individual parts that work better together than they do separately, that's regeneration. Mm. So that's lesson one. I
1: love it. <laughs> I knew you would bring that anybody <laughs> else want to add anything to sort of their <clears throat> feeling or sense about regeneration? How about anybody else yeah here?
4: certainly to me it's just building a new relationship with life and soil represents like the foundation for for life and how we can relate to the life in the soil from a different perspective mm-hmm. from Trying to improve and you know like having like healthier soils and more um microbial activity that is what bring in all the plants and the life together that bring us the the nutrients and how we can like elevate that work as the livelihood that are all the farmers in our region and are are doing. like bring in this like, concept that the relationship that we create with the soil is like what we do to the soil, we are doing to our bodies. This is and so we are doing important.
1: What we do to the soil, we're doing to ourselves. Ourselves, our communities, and the environment at large. It's a pretty straight line. I'm so glad that you said that 100%. Tell us more about the work that you're doing here in the community.
4: Well, right now I'm i feel like very blessed to be part of a co-op called foodshed and it is amazing to see all the different faces that have been supporting this this work for for many years just to say that am uh, a member of this organization is a, is an honor and this is the work of people that has been working in farming and bringing the community together just to build a more secure uh, food system here. So we focus on doing equitable distribution of food that's been grown by many different small local farms doing regenerative practices. And these farms are mostly, we do priority to BIPOC farms and, and women owned. And very small farms, but the contribution that they have to, you know, like grow the food that really brings health back into the community. Into their own community. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the the community that needed the most communities that historically has been neglected the access to fresh produce. And I feel that everything, like, came about uh, Solidarity Farm and Ala Farm, my dear friends, but Eli and Nan Cavazos and Ricardo Cataño and, and Adriana has been envisioning, like, creating a farm hub in in San Diego that connected all the different farms. And this was just right before the pandemic. Mm. And the pandemic was the opportunity to really, you know, like get all the farmers together. If you remember, it was not so long ago. And we mm. didn't have access to fresh food or the farmers didn't have farmers markets or restaurants to, to bring their produce. So there, there was a big loss. And also... The awareness of how vulnerable our food system is and how we really need to invest in farming regenerative not only for the food that we are producing that we can distribute with them within the community, but also all the the carbon <coughs> farming and the benefits that comes from like a- applying these practices regenerating the the soil i like to think when we talk about uh, the earth that you know like the skin of the earth of our mother is the soil and sometimes you know when we're going through like very hard times we try to thicken our mm. skin and when we do that to the to the soil there is no room for growth and how we no, can air. change sure. no, no, like yeah. from <laughs> sustaining a system to really make it thrive. And I think that we have the opportunity here in San Diego to, to do it. We have a lot of, you know, small producers and a lot of barriers that they need to face in order to be like farming and distributing the food in, in these communities. But, you know, it's not a work that we can do alone we have different partners that have been instrumental for this work to to happen in and also being like grateful that we have support for from grants and what we call our system change work. But we need to make everything more of like a a legacy in which when we envision how we can give access to land to people that want just want to farm, they just want to grow food and distribute it with the community, how we can support that. I've always said that, you know, San Diego is, is so perfectly situated in
1: mm-hmm. every way to make the kind of change we're talking about. And that includes everybody on the stage and what they're doing in their respective, you know, corners of this same sort of struggle. But we have more farms per capita, more organic farms, more mm-hmm. women-owned farms. We are, we're, we're once the tuna capital of the world. We clearly are a seafood hub. We're surrounded by these incredible academic institutions like the one we're sitting at today. And we have people working at every level from the agricultural side to the health and wellness to the policy that we should be able to make the kind of change here that is replicable. If it can't happen here, then, you know, we really are in trouble. But I truly believe, like you said, that together and working with other like-minded groups, we can make that kind of change here Mm -hmm. and have that ripple effect elsewhere. Um, what about you? You want to yeah. chime in a little bit? Yeah, I, I could see it. you over there.
0: <laughs> well, in Phoenix Farms, a fundamental piece of our work is regenerative agriculture and working with both farmers and industry to make a shift from looking, understanding agriculture just being about producing food and understanding agriculture as about building resilient ecologies looking at what's happening with climate change and not just looking at what does the market want, what are we eating today, but looking at where will the drought come, where will the floods come? Like, we have this data. We're looking in real time at these adaptations. You know, the domestic crops that our food system has focused on cannot stand up to what is coming And it's time to make the change from annual culture, agriculture, to perennial culture, to forest food systems. Explain that in case people don't understand. So most of our our food system today is based off of crops that live anywhere from three months to a year at most. So every time what that means, and all of this is happening also in monocrop. So what that means is the system starts again, starts again, Mm -hmm. starts again. There's not deep roots in the soil. There's not... um, a diversity of root depths of strata, you No, know? so So making that shift from being like, how do we produce more of what we think we need today to looking at how do we change to forest agriculture in all senses of what the food system is, um, is a radically, radically different uh, concept, which is a big challenge that we'll be talking about today. Um, but what the the effect of that is that instead of just having a plant that is living for a short amount of time and has this very short, truncated relationship with the soil, growing roots, growing trees, everything from fruit trees to medicinal trees to what we call service trees that can be timber, we're talking about working with species that... Um, and I love how Bail uses the word legacy species. Mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm. we're talking about working with species um, that last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, hundreds of years. What does that agriculture look like? Um, and that agriculture has much, much deeper roots. It can create its own hydric cycle. And it,
1: it that that can stand up and give us a vitality
0: for the future. So. This
1: is a little off topic, but this makes me want to go over to you, Keiko, because... Uh, you obviously, like, we're talking about longevity. You guys planted your first vines in 1790, not you personally, yes. 1791, <laughs> where you look fabulous. <laughs> uh, I, I, I drink a lot of wine, that's how <laughs> You heard it here, folks. Um, no, but I think that's one of the things, like, obviously to have that kind of longevity Mm -hmm. like deep roots long plants they can survive they can thrive they can make it through a drought through an absurd rainy season etc and then also a little bit about the practices you do there and what you did at Finca La Carolía, which is the sort of how to cover crop rotation using sheep and goats tell me about what you do there.
5: Yeah so um, uh, Santo Tomas is the first winery so the missionaries, when they came from Spain to Mexico, they came through a, a place called Loreto, which is in uh, South Baja California or Baja California Sur. And they brought with them uh, o- uh, vines, uh, olives, and dates. And once they went they, and, and put the uh, grapes in, or the vines in uh, Santo Tomas Valley, which is south of Ensenada, they they learned that the that the um, weather and the soil was perfect for for grape growing for uh, wine and so uh, they started planting different types of grapes. But I I don't know if you know this and this is very special because there came a time when uh, different uh, people started coming to Mexico because it was such a new place to make wine. Uh, And and so the first uh, winemaker that came to Mexico was an Italian man, and he brought with him a lot of uh, Italian grapes, of course. And and he started um, planting them in the soil, and he started looking at how differently the uh, grape uh, expressed itself in our soil, right? But eventually what people started to do was that they started to make wine that emulated other parts of the world, like French Mexican wine or Italian Mexican wine. And then in the 80s, uh, there came a winemaker that uh, changed everything and said, we're not going to do other countries' wines. We're now going to do Mexican wine. And what he did was he started doing um, a lot of uh, regenerative, Regenerative. Even before the word yes. was even being used, yes. of course. I can't yeah. pronounce for it. regenerative. It's not <laughs> yeah. an easy one.
1: And and, energy. Uh, I like energy. That's yeah. easy to say.
5: <laughs> he started doing uh, this in the soil, where he uh, he started experimenting with how the different kinds of uh, kinds of grapes from different kinds of countries started uh, expressing themselves in our soil, in our climate, in our weather, and and and. Even though the California has seven uh, grape-growing valleys, and uh, and those seven, uh, each one of them can have six different microclimates. Mm-hmm. Right, so the grape expresses itself very, very differently in uh, the different kinds of soil, regardless of, regarding the closeness to the ocean and everything. So, I think one of the the things that we have learned about. Uh, about how to keep with all the challenges that we have now with climate change in the in the area, I mean I know that it's uh, everywhere, but the droughts the so heavy droughts that he, we have in Baja California and in the in the in the in, the, in our grape uh, valleys or in our vineyards uh, we have learned because we have no other choice basically mm. right, which is great, how to do Regenerative agriculture, <laughs> and and there are there are uh, a lot of uh, uh, winemakers or um, agronomists that are leading this type. Like Kristen is sure one of the ones that is leading this uh, movement in Baja California because we have to and and our we always think that our um, in Mexico at least we think that the, that we have to clean. The area wow. to get things going, right, and we don't understand that what everything that there's already there is what is going to make the water stay, so we only have to you know work around what's already there so i I think we're now learning how to do that we're we've done that in Santo Tomás for many, many years. Uh, I don't know if all the one hundred and thirty five years that we've been uh, making wine, but at least uh, the last 30 40 years we've learned how to do that and how to um, um, convivir mm-hmm. como se dice like to um, uh, coexist coexist yeah. and and respect the the um, the native and the um, indigenous plants and everything that we
1: have there and I was just you, thinking when you said yeah. that that's an issue in Mexico, it's not just Mexico. Yes, I of mean, course. here we're obsessed with whatever our plot of land is, with like making it devoid of any leaves that fall. Mm-hmm. Let's leaf blow them out. Mm-hmm. Let's remove everything. When in fact, those are the very things that mm-hmm. break down and create the organic matter that you need in the soil. I mean, good, healthy soil, which happens to be under things at various stages of decomposition and growth at the same time has more organic matter than than there ever will be human beings on the planet. It's that full and alive. And when you remove all of that and you turn it into this like hospital, like, you know, environment with completely devoid of all of the dying material, then it loses all that. And it really doesn't serve us. And we're all guilty of it. We have to get out of that idea that the uh, the lawn I saw a funny meme the other day that had like a guy dressed in you know Louis the 14th costume and it said you don't still dress like that why does your lawn look like this and it was sort of a green lawn with two hedges and not a single leaf and fly and I thought funny but also true because we are learning sort of there's a new way and a better way to regenerate our soil regenerate you know the earth beneath us and it turns out again plug for the film and solve climate change. Sorry to interrupt you. Keep going.
5: No, and when we started, I just want the, you to know it's not just
1: a Mexican thing. Yes, it's in yes, everywhere. I totally know. I'm, I'm
5: just talking about what I know. And when we started, uh, Finca La Carrodilla is the first organic and biodynamic um, a, a winery in in Mexico. It was it was uh, funny because um, the workers we had to teach them how to not go into their like automatic clean yeah mm-hmm. clean and try to like uh uh take out the 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 weeds and everything and and teach them how how all the weeds uh, b- built in and and work for what we need to to be, to be done right and um and once and I was learning uh, as as I went along as well right so and so what we started doing was We do, um, como se dice, cultivos de cobertura? Cover crops. Cover crops, crops. thank you. So So we were making cover crops, crops. (laughs) thank you. (laughs) We were making cover crops, and, and, uh, I remember that, that when we start, they started growing, and everybody was, uh, uh, (laughs) like, are you, Are you not going to clean that? Like, like, and we're like, no, that's
1: the way it's supposed Mm to be, right? Because which is what they'd say to you here if your if your yard is the messy one with leaves, the neighbors are going to like want to come over and start raking them off for you, you know?
5: Yeah, and 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 so we had to teach people and 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 our close community to understand that whatever we put in the soil was what the soil needed as a complementary for the grape growing for the vines right so and then to get the uh to get the sheep uh, eating and and uneating uh, <laughs> right there. Uh, so everything went into the soil again. <laughs> Got
1: it. it took it's part second. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it on-the-spot composting. Yeah, like exactly. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. so <laughs> since yeah. we're on the topic of, of grapes and wine for a minute, I think I'll pivot to you before we'll go from wine to health because there's a perfect line there. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> wine is
6: health. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah show yes. yes i agree no it's it's funny, you know our project is a very small um vineyard that we have estate wise but we also work with other farmers and and something that's beautiful that maybe people don't understand about grapevines is that they're Every plant is currently pregnant with the next three vintages, right? So the way that you treat it today mm-hmm. has such a profound impact on your vintages to come. So we get one harvest a year, um, but it's, it's it's imperative during the whole growing cycle for that year that we're we're cognizant of of how that extends, right? And and not only that, you know, water is a huge issue in everywhere, um, but very much in Valle Guadalupe. And we work off of an aquifer. And it's it's really important that we understand that our depleting water table, that we have to make sure that anything that we do introduce um, comes right back to us as quickly as possible. Um, and so, you know, going from, you know, this mindset of massive vineyards and, and once again eliminating everything, as Valle has grown, as education has become more prevalent, and it's not just um, farming techniques that's grandfathered down, now we have the access to resources, right? And, and VIA is a collection of all different types of educational yeah. backgrounds as well as experiences. And so what I think is beautiful is the opportunity to actually listen. And I think that that's something that we're blessed in, in Mexico specifically, culturally. We have the ability to come together and create a community. Why? Because we don't have a plethora of resources to run to the store and get something. It's very important to speak to your neighbor. If, if there's a plague going on, in order for it not to wipe out the entire place, we have to come together. We have to listen. We have to bring people in. We have to educate ourselves. Um, and there's a new, uh, a new wave in Valle, which I think is very beautiful, which is a younger generation. Mm-hmm. In, in Sanada, we have a winemaking school, an analogy school, and, and you're seeing all of these young people come in, and, and start applying new resources, new techniques, new technology. For example, we we work off of a drip system. Um, but two years ago, when we were in severe drought, we changed the entire system to now we have smaller sections. Now we have pop-up sensors Mm -hmm. to tell us when we reach our level of absorption, whereas before you, you know, you set out a beaker and you time it and you think, okay, well, I'm getting that much in 20 minutes. How long? You know, it it was very much guessing. But now that the resources are there, now rather than blindly watering and maybe overwatering one section or underwatering another section, we're able to really hone it in and be a lot more... Conscientious about our efforts, um, and then as well, you know, cover crops are important. Um, cr- creating uh, healthy nutrients in our soil. We, we're fortunate. We work often with fish emulsion. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Sanada, has a lot of, a lot of fish uh. fisheries, <laughs> yeah. And so to to be able to bring some of this back um, in something that we also have to be understanding of is that topsoil, that thick skin that we we're talking about, has now been so saturated with all of this minerality because mm-hmm. we have this this aquifer keep tapping out. The best way to describe it is if if you never clean your shower head mm-hmm. and you get that beautiful calcium buildup <laughs> on it, right? So that's the same as our topsoil. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that <clears throat> Since we are doing the top watering, that we integrate it in, that we break it up, that we create that air, that space mm-hmm. for it to go. Um, and then just to trans- transition over to the wine itself. The moment that you inoculate uh, fermentation for wine is its birthday, right? You're introducing yeast, and from that point on until the moment of consumption, it's alive. Uh, and, and it's really important that all of us, All of our handling of raising this child, uh, all of the love and the energy that we're putting into it is the same sort of respect that we would give for ourselves Mm -hmm. and for our children. And so it is really important that, you know, all of the products that we work with, um, if it is not naturally made in the fermentation, that it it is conscientious of of what we want to put back into our body. Mm-hmm. So yes, wine is is a part of good health in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, since ancient times. <laughs> yes. But with time, you know, it's the farming, it's the creating of the product. I did read the other day that says don't just concern yourself about the quality of the product that you're consuming, but also concern yourself of the quality of the person creating it. Mm, I and I think that if you have the same love and respect for the farming practices, for the people handling it, and, and all of that, by the time it's, it's ready for consumption, it is full. Mm. Well, I think that's
1: the beauty of the Valle de Guadalupe, is that it really is this beautiful Old agricultural region. Wine is a part, but not exclusively. And there really is that sense of community, something that, you know, we can all learn from. But I was excited about what you said about sort of the young bloods, the next generation. Sure. And I know, for example, that they're hosting a permaculture conference in Ensenada next month. So I love seeing this is a group that we work with. We at Barrie do school gardens on both sides of the border. We've created a workbook here. It's called Seeds for the Future. We translated it to Spanish, Semillas para el Futuro. And now we're working on Kumiai. So we get to work with these groups. So it's really nice to see this next generation Mm -hmm. of people excited Mm -hmm. and engaged. And really, they add so much more to the dialogue. And I really feel that in Ensenada right now with this group putting on this permaculture conference, which, by the way, you can find out about, I think, at Very Good Food. We posted it, but watch our Instagram to find out more if you're interested Sorry about that. As another shameless plug. But now that we've talked a little bit about farming, a little bit about advocacy, we'll come back to that, and a little bit about grape farming in the Valle, let's talk about health. Let's talk about the work that you do in San Diego, UCSD, and in the community at large. I want to, because we've talked a little bit of, again, regeneration of soil, of of, of health, of community, and let's talk about how, what, what your role in that process is.
7: Sure. Yeah, and I like, Michelle, what you said in the beginning about um, regenerative thinking, right, mm-hmm. and that it's a mindset. And I think that's the way that, um, that's kind of the framework, really, of my work at, at the Center for Community Health, which is is based here at, at UC San Diego. We are an off-campus uh, institution. And... Um, We are a majority uh, people of color organization. We are a women-led organization. And our mission is really to address uh, health disparities. And we do that in a variety of different ways. We have uh, expertise in nutrition uh, security, food equity, which is my expertise. I have uh, colleagues that work on refugee and um, immigrant health, uh, child and maternal health kind of a whole kind of gamut of how how do we interact um, socially with uh, social determinants of health. And so for myself and the way that I approach it and I think about regenerative kind of that mindset is everything I do is I, I think about it as a strength-based, right? We think about it as a asset-based. So oftentimes when you think about health in a sort of traditional medicine perspective, you go to the doctor when you're sick. You go to needs. the doctor when there's a need, mm-hmm. when there's a problem, or um, on the reverse side, maybe in the, the clinician is looking at you to figure out, to only talk to you about what your problem is, not to talk to you about what's going great in your life. Mm-hmm. And so for the work that I do in community, which focuses on low-income communities and communities of color here in San Diego County, um, we start off all of our projects and interventions with coming from a place of uh, strength, Trying to get to know people um, and a lot a lot of my work is with urban farmers like they and her her folks at food shed and how do we start from this place of strength um, yes we want to there are real very real needs and very serious disparities that exist between folks in San Diego County and in the world as we know um, But we want to start from a place of what is going right and how do we then build upon that. So, my job is to help folks identify that and then through that, what 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 can we do? What infrastructure can we help you build? What um, assets maybe can we further assets can we help you acquire? Um, what type of educational development um, programs do you need to be successful? Um, what connections do you need to be successful? So we are really kind of thinking about regenerative in a way of you know regenerative. You need to have you need to start with something right, and we're all bringing something, and so that's sort of like we want to be able to kind of transform um what what we already have going great nobody likes it when somebody says oh you know that doesn't look good mm-hmm. or here's what you, know, you need here's what yeah. here's what i think you need um we want to start from the place that you have already said this is going great in my community mm-hmm. and no one likes to be told right um you know no one likes to i grew up in the city of chicago nobody likes to be told that oh you you're from a bad neighborhood <laughs> or you're from a neighborhood that doesn't have this this and this but what about all the things that we do have what about all the really cool small grocery stores that sell food that you know that my family and my neighbors family are familiar with what about when i walk into that store and they speak a language that my mom speaks right mm-hmm what does that mean to me? That is a significant asset. So we're always starting from, from that place. And I feel really fortunate to be able to, to, to do that work.
1: I liked when we talked the other day the idea of looking not just at weaknesses but strengths because I do think that happens a lot in particular in a nonprofit universe is that people do come in and think, oh, he, let me identify your issue for you and let me tell you how I can fix it and that really is exactly the wrong paradigm. The right one is to have exactly the conversation you're talking about and I know this is consistent with the work that you do. As well.
7: <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> She's always jump up. Give
1: it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> Look by the by the way, you're free to talk. You
3: don't have to wait to be
1: called on. I know everyone's so polite up here.
3: <laughs> um, gosh, so many things to say. I'm absolutely, completely honored to be in the company of these women. I just want to get together with every single one of you and have like a day, because <laughs> um, we have so much to teach each other and to grow. Um, you know, when we started Good Neighbor Gardens, it was really, it's really a love story. You know, I I was dating a wonderful person at the time who was. Maybe the first gift that he offered me, he said, Can I build you a garden? Mm. And I thought, Oh my goodness, who is this? <laughs> this
1: well, is a we all keeper. love him
3: already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a keeper. So, you know, I, I watched him build this garden. And it wasn't even an edible garden, it was just an ornamental garden around my little condo up there on mm. top of the hill in La Jolla, like this little tiny condo. And he's on his hands and knees massaging the earth to mm. plant this tree. And I said, That is my heart. That is my heart. Look at this man, right? <laughs> so I thought, Oh my gosh. You know, I can't, besides having my child, I couldn't remember something so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so after that was done, he said, you know, now we're going to build another garden. We're going to build an edible garden, and I'd like for you to build it with me. I thought, okay, okay. And, you know, we're both, unless I can speak my language of faith, I can't really communicate as much as I'd like to with you all. So if it's okay with you, can Mm -hmm. I have permission? Thank you. And so as we Put this garden together. We we took the seeds and everything that we did. We prayed over it. Mm. We just trusted, and we fell in love with each other in the in the in the process of doing that. And I'm telling you, this garden was so bountiful. It yes. was beyond beautiful, but it was, like, oh, so bountiful. And the
1: prayer matters. I mean, like, it's intention. <laughs> That's in every traditional culture around the world, right. around agricultural practices. It's part of it. Right. Intention matters.
3: Well, when you think about a, when you think about a seed, it's, it's like you've got to believe that the seed is something, mm-hmm. right? It looks like nothing. I mean, it's so small most of the time. It looks like it's nothing. And, and what it becomes really shares no attributes of its former self as a seed, mm-hmm. So you have to believe there is a measure of faith that goes into growing, right? Mm -hmm. So we we trusted, we believed. The thing was just crazy. And this garden was actually up in San Jose because he had taken a job up there. And we didn't know very many people. So bittersweet, we ended up composting two-thirds of what we grew. Mm. And it was like, oh, this is so, like, tragic. You know, this is a representation of our love and our faith and our commitment and, and just the earth is so forgiving and so grateful and look what it's done for it. Look at, look at this. Mm. This would be better if we could share this. Mm. And so that's how Good Neighbor Gardens was started. It started out of love and it started out of just wanting to share. And I mm-hmm. thought, you know what? We were arguing actually. And I, I said, Shh, I think I'm hearing something. I think we're <laughs> supposed to start a project. Actually, yeah. no, it's a business. Oh, oh, You know what? It's supposed to be called Love Your Neighbor. No, Good Neighbor Gardens. That's what we're going to do. We're going to teach people how to do this so they can share. Because that's what's wrong. Nobody's sharing. Everyone's trying to get what they got to get because they're being Mm -hmm. told that they're they're not enough. They don't have enough. They Mm -hmm. don't have this. They don't have that. Mm -hmm. And we're people of scarcity. And that's the absolute opposite of who we are. That's a Mm -hmm. lie. We're not going to believe that lie, and we're not going to perpetuate that lie. Mm -hmm. And so the very first garden we took was in Lakeside, which is, you know, super hot and, and the soil was <laughs> rocky and it was a terrible experiment. We failed miserably. <laughs> but you but, kept going. But we learned go, and we, yeah. we we educated and we learned together and we we got educated and schooled, quite mm-hmm. frankly, and and um the people were so willing to share. And then they we ended up developing this relationship mm-hmm. with these people that we would never you know, these were people from Lakeside, you know, that we weren't ever in that community. It was just, you know, So 360-some-odd gardens later, 10 years later, um, there are more connections. There is more. We have fed so many people. We have prepared, at the height of COVID, we were preparing 180 CSA boxes every week. Mm -hmm. I mean, we basically were harvesting and we were, you know, collaborating with local regenerative farmers through the food shed. That's our goal. Our goal is to support those people who are doing it right. right. The people who are growing food, w- developing a conscious relationship with the earth, and trying to develop their food in such a way as not to harm it. Because we are the garden, so we might as well Which act is, like and it.
1: And how it impacts their community and the environment at large. I mean, that's the beauty, that it really is a, a common thread between, yeah. between how you treat the soil, how you treat yourself, your community, and the environment at large. Well,
3: I think, I think that the, the Native Americans in our area, the Kumiai understood that, that we are the soil you know there's no this, this there's not that really that sense of separation mm-hmm once we can understand that we are the soil and so therefore we have a responsibility, to, how would you treat yourself, mm-hmm. you know? And so we've been able to do this for people by installing gardens in their yard and teaching them how to companion plant and how not to just plant horizontally, but how to plant vertically so that they can develop that root system that goes mm-hmm. deeper. So those mi- that mo- microbial density is more consistent and the garden can take care of itself. Mm-hmm. So what does that say for our maintenance costs? You know, that's, Lower and lower. <laughs> so now we cannot, and, and we could start to step away. And it's counter to most people's business thinking that we would want to develop a client, and that just in order to step away. It's exactly from it. what you want. you want to empower want. them. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's fired up. <laughs> so I want to go back to Leslie for a minute because I know we just get you talking a little bit at the beginning. But Leslie, you work in advocacy, and now you've heard from a lot of the people who sort of hands-on in the ground in the community. How do you? Take the work that they 're doing and bring it up sort of to get the kind of support it needs at the local state, and maybe even federal level right right so so as someone else said,
2: um, you know our work at Roots of Change at the public Health Institute is about listening right, so um, listening to all these experts who have their hands in the ground telling telling us, hey, you know what we need help with? You know, please elevate our voices in this way. And as you're all talking, talking about the benefits of cover crop (laughs) and intercropping, and I'm like, oh, because our policies, so many of our policies at the state and federal level are counterproductive to those. So, for example, um, right now, as you may know, uh, Congress at, at the federal level is negotiating the farm bill. What is the Farm Bill? The Farm Bill is re, uh, reauthorized every five years. And it's basically this package of legislation that impacts pretty much all aspects of our food and farming system, but not quite all aspects. I just want to point out there's one major piece missing and the Farm Bill does not address in any way, shape or form farm worker health, mm-hmm. and well-being. Mm-hmm. So there are many folks And right how much now. is organic even? Oh, and mm-hmm. there's zero. Basically nothing, basically. So yeah, so this handy dandy chart, you can see that actually the majority of just speaking funding-wise of the farm bill goes to nutrition programs. And we can talk about those more. That's a whole separate issue, but amazing work there. Um, but then another huge chunk is um, the commodities, wheat, corn, soy, rice. What am I forgetting? Um, and, and crop insurance. So as you can see, organics
1: specialty cups. Food! I mean, that's
2: the
6: thing. Okay, my favorite food. factoid
1: about the farm bill is that things like, I don't know, vegetables, things we eat right. are considered specialty crops, along with cactus and roses. Like in the farm bill, it tells you that it needs a little bit of realignment. Sorry right. to interrupt. Exactly, exactly. So,
2: you know, the United States Department of Agriculture, who does the, you know, implements the farm bill, is also the same entity that's telling us, as they should, that half our plate should be fruit and veggies, but fruit and veggies are in the farm bills. So mm-hmm. so what's going yeah. on right now with the farm bill? So the farm bill actually expired. It expired on September 30th. Um, a second portion of it will expire at the end of the year. So we are kind of in no man's land. This is a little unusual. Um, we expect Congress to, uh, the latest, as of, as of a few days ago, Senator Stabenow, who is the chair of the Agriculture Committee on the Senate, has said we will likely be extending temporarily the current status of the Farm Bill for a year. This is unusual. Why for a year? Any guesses? What's Leadership
1: up? issues? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Leadership sorry. issues.
2: <laughs> uh,
3: and an election. The election. An election, the election. Not too. yeah.
2: So unfortunately, um, there's going to be very little progress. However, that this is an opportunity for all of us advocates and everyone in this room is an advocate to advocate for what we want to
3: mm-hmm. see Get your in voice. the farm bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So, for example, um, this, as some of you may know, a lot of advocacy, what happens is um, uh, folks in Congress will propose what are called marker bills. These bills are are never meant to pass as standalone bills. They're basically policy proposals To help get the word out, to help um, drum up support with the hope that they'll eventually be kind of rolled and packaged into a larger bill. So good news is right now, for example, there is a marker bill called the Cover Act, which you could guess is uh, related to cover crops. Mm -hmm. So something supporting regenerative agriculture. And what it says is farmers who grow cover crops uh, will get a discount on their crop insurance. Okay, great. Here's the problem. Federal crop insurance program, the policies of that the current policies of those programs actually are counterproductive mm-hmm. to regenerative agriculture. Right. So, to so if a farmer has a claim, they have a bad year, bad crop, they don't get a harvest and say, "Hey, I'm going to put in a claim to hopefully, you know, get some of my costs covered." The USDA is going to look at look at their file and say, "Well, Wait a minute! You um, you had your cover crops on too long. You were intercropping. Mm. You can't intercrop. You can have more than just your soy planted mm. in this field. So literally, farmers who are exercising regenerative practices will not get their claims covered um, with their, with our current system of crop insurance. There's so, much work
1: to be done. <laughs>
2: a lot of work to be done. Uh, so so that's going under the federal level. Um, but it's the same at the state level. Again, we are
1: blessed to be in California. Which is much better. I mean, the federal look. Yeah. All of us will be fighting our entire lives to improve the farm bill and related legislation at the federal level to, you know, go for a much more regenerative environment. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we have a much better and faster chance to make change here in California and other states. Right. but Go ahead. Sorry. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because we are we are very lucky that
2: um, California is focused on these issues, um, and we have got a lot of advocates active in this work. So I can bring up, for example, um, right now Roots of Change is a sponsor of a bill um, that's called AB 408, Food and Farming Resilience Coalition, and we are a coalition of about 2025 community-based organizations here in California that have been working together for almost three years to put together this legislation. And what is this legislation? We are asking for a state bond um, that can be used to support, to give grants to farmers, supporting, among other things, regenerative agriculture. So it has four pillars, sustainable, uh, sustainable agriculture, farm worker health and well-being, <coughs> healthy food access, and regional food system resilience. And uh, this document we put together over the last three years um, and how we put it together was listening having multiple listening sessions across the state, diverse stakeholders saying, hey, what do you need? <coughs> what kind of infrastructure do you need to build a resilient food system here in California? Um, we actually also hired um, uh, tribal consultants who went through it word for word and say, hey, here's some ways you can revise this to make sure it's inclusive. Of some of the 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 um, indigenous practices that are being used, so those folks um, can get funded as well. So that is, um, if you if you go on our website, you can learn more. Sign up for alerts. It's a little bit of a pause right now, but as we get into the new year, we'll be working on advocating for that again. Um, is anything
1: in, in- In that or other projects, uh, does any of it cover one of the things that (laughs) BEA raised, which is we all know, which is the entry to farming, which is it's virtually impossible in the normal uh, financial market to obtain financing to buy land to farm on. And so this is one of the reasons why farming doesn't grow and why Mm -hmm. here in San Diego the median age is 67 of farmers. So. It, what is there in place to help people gain access to land for the purpose of farming? Mm-hmm. Anything in the... It's, uh,
2: that's, a, that's a uphill
1: battle yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, but I will say
2: CDFA um, as well as USDA, I will give them credit. There are programs and there are grants for new socially disadvantaged, this is a defined <coughs> term again, socially disadvantaged farmers um, who to, to grants to buying land... Perhaps some of the funds can be used for that
1: but that is definitely an area that we need to it's a big um, area that improvement area. is needed because I I I attended a conference once that was just ex- strictly about the financing for farms and the only financing available is essentially crop insurance or the money that you can get in advance of the crop coming through mm-hmm. nothing on the front end to buy land yeah. and so it really does impede the ability of younger excited people like the people you're talking about these permaculture enthusiasts or people who want a small farm in urban and other areas. Areas to get access to land if they don't already have it and on mm-hmm. average they don't yeah. so that's a big barrier that we probably all yeah, have to put a, our Bayer, I'm looking
7: at I'm looking at you because <laughs> it's like I'm thinking about a Bayer and I are in a um, what do we call it? A community com- of practices. Community of practice together yeah. and it's um, uh, farm technical assistance providers so it's a group of folks um, San Diego County who many of us have worked together for a very long time now and we realized that we're all providing technical assistance mm-hmm. to farmers in in one way or another, but we had a little bit of a kind of like a siloed uh, approach. And some of us, um, uh, really, uh, Foodshed took the lead on how do we how can we all get together and tr- really try to put our services better to to serve farmers. And of course, like one of the number one topics is is land access. So yeah. I would I don't want to put this on you but I'm going to put it on you. Do <laughs> yeah. you want to talk about maybe about like what what Foodshed is trying to do in that space yeah. or, or even like the type of farmers that that you guys are are working with with the farm incubator um and and how you're trying to get more farmers on land and what that looks like right now.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, along the lines of what you were were sharing I feel like here in San Diego we're um lucky enough, and sometimes i don 't want to use the term, but you know like we have this like privilege to have like different like programs and profit organizations that can you know like support more of advocacy work you know that like, we have been doing a lot of work with the climate action plan, and you know like we all know we have like different yeah. frameworks that are like trying to define goals that we have as a region. For you know, 2030 and 2035, and it says, well, what that really means, and it's like, well, how we can create systems that will benefit a pathway for like new and beginner farmers, and we see the value of creating mm-hmm. incubator programs where you know you have a small like plot of land that you can start like growing food and then selling through through the food shed and creating different like market channels for these uh, small producers. And it's it's hard because the the price of of land and water mm-hmm. here in in Southern California is is high, and we see a lot of our small farms are mostly leasing their land. And then, like we were talking earlier, you know, what is the legacy project that you can create when you know that you are like maybe farming for a decade, but then you, then you need to move, mm-hmm. but the the soil that you had. You know, built in 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 a decade, is still there, and that's and that's the legacy. And we try to focus also on increasing more of the practices that help, you know, like farmers to grow like more nutrient dense food, and and also the projects that are related to agroforestry. So it's not only the annual crops that we all. You know, like get in our you know farmers' markets or you know like the farms that, that you know in your in your region. But I feel like any movement in this direction needs to bring everybody associated in the in the food system because it's educating ourselves about eating more seasonal, like too, and knowing that we have rights and what we can demand of the of the food that we are like being fed and how that food is grown. And if we have here like farmers that are growing this food ethically, you no know, using any pesticides or chemical fertilizer, well, we need to invest on those farmers. So then, you know, there is more volume that can be distributed in, in our communities. I feel like. It's a closing, closing the loop on this, you know, like economic, like system that the pandemic show us how fragile it is, how Mm -hmm. vulnerable it can get. And, you know, like when things like get like hard, how do we get access to healthy food? And it's related to the health of the communities. And, you know, like how do we grow that food that goes into, you know, like people's, people's homes have so many different (laughs) like aspects, but we are like ultimately talking about the same. And what I like about how, you know, like they, they wanted to call the organization food shed because if you think about it, it's like the infrastructure or the, mm-hmm. you know, like geography on your on your region, like you have a watershed. You also have a place where you have farms that are growing food. Is that food being like distributed like locally or is like being exported. We have like here, I think that the production is like up to like almost three billion dollars in in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And maybe ninety eight percent of that is exported. So we are not consuming the food that we are producing. And then Another aspect of that is that how do we create pathways for new farmers? Like you were saying, the, the average age of a farmer in San Diego is the retirement age. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen with those farms? Are we going to keep the, the land as agricultural land if the family doesn't want to continue with the business? Can we give that land to people that want to grow food but they don't have access to, to, to land? to do it. So, you know, everything always revolves around, you know, like, what is the, the land that we have available? How do we have access to it? How we can also encourage, you know, like, we just, I keep hearing like this division between, you know, like farm workers and and farmers, mm-hmm. and the farm workers are the farmers, you know, la tierra es de quien la trabaja, mm-hmm. no, the <laughs> land is for those who, who work it. Yeah. So how we can improve the access to to land, especially to um, communities that have been neglected, neglected, you know, historically, to have access to, the, to that. And what I like about your project, Mia, is that you've been kind of like leading the path in an urban environment. And, you know, usually we would think about, like, farms. We look at, you know, like the rural areas and... We are losing a lot of land at a very <clears throat> unprecedented rate. So when you look around, you will see more development mm-hmm. and, you know, like housing being introduced in, in the landscape or in the built environment that we actually allowing for land to be used, not only for, you know, like growing food, but conservation projects and agroforestry projects and riparian areas. And when I think about Restoration or, you know, like regeneration to me is to rebuild our relationship mm-hmm. with the natural cycles. So, you know, we're growing like food where we're also trying to enhance the ecosystem, not only above ground, but below the ground too. And that's very important and it's lead to, to the health, yeah. right? The health of the soil, our own health as, as well. So, Nothing is just like an isolated, you know, like item. When it comes to to food, everything is is connected, interrelated. Yeah, and yeah. I do feel like you know, like <laughs> policy plays a a big role. But we need to look now at policy at how we can make these like open the doors to more access to the resources that we mm. have available instead of making a, a process that is cumbersome or only look at if you're like doing a practice for a year or if it's just like just introducing kind of like let's let's build a legacy in our region we have like so many different microclimates and you know we can grow year long it's so Mm -hmm. much food that can be produced there is so many ecosystem that can be restored so I feel like that's that's the work to, to do and you know land access is there, on the on the top of the list. I got to jump, I, gotta jump I,
1: I, I knew you were going <laughs> to come in. I, I, I knew before I even
7: coming. said that. want to come in Good
3: come on in. You, yeah so uh, did you want to say something? Go, go, okay. ahead. go for it. So you know, Women as, as are so it, polite. As <laughs> it relates to a policy change or, you know, making policy conducive to invite others into this field of growing food, we need to expand our idea of what is a farmer, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. a couple of slides ago, my friend Tina was on there and she's a wonderful farmer who knocked on someone's door in Ramona and said, can I farm your yeah. your land? Mm-hmm. You find land. That's, that's what I was going to say. It. That's what you do. That's and her. I like so, that. Yeah. And, and that's what we do. And that's what several of the regenerative small-scale farmers are doing that we're mm-hmm. eating from. These folks that are our favorites at the farmer's market, they are farming someone else's land. Mm-hmm. And it might just be that that plot of land is relatively large but there are plenty of people who would love to offer their their land to farm on but they might not have the resources so they need policy incentives mm-hmm. to be able to grow food to share from their land you know it's it's more affordable to the consumer you know our mission is to be to make real food affordable and accessible to as many people as possible. So we do that in several ways. We grow food for people on other people's land that are willing to pay for the water, willing to pay for the supplies, willing to pay us a service fee for someone to come and actually do the maintenance. Um, So we basically have a free farm. And people are willing to do this because they want to see change. They want to be, what can they do? So we really are sort of the the go between between the producer and the consumer. Not only are we trying to bridge that gap, but we're also trying to turn that consumer who lives in that house and wants to have real food coming out of their yard into a producer, both um, with ethic in terms of how they're going to use their space. How are they going to regenerate their own space? That's what they can do. And also, how can they share so that they make real food more accessible and affordable? So You know, if we could kind of change our definition or our thinking of what is a farmer, Mm -hmm. we can make policy incentives or farm Mm -hmm. and make policy incentives for people who would like to farm their yard for the purpose of sharing with community, um, you know, providing financial subsidies, um, whatever else can be provided. That's we really do need to look Mm -hmm. at that now. That's a Mm -hmm. brand new space.
7: I would love this one. Yes. <laughs> so exactly what you're talking about. That's the the project. I, um, I founded a project in 2017 called the San Diego Urban Growers Collaborative. And it was exactly that. It was um, what we found at that time was I, I was involved in urban agriculture through work, through personal life, through my friendships. And I. Um, All of this circle of folks that were urban farming were, yes, they were on other people's backyards. They were working at nonprofits, which were not receiving traditional agricultural technical assistance services. They weren't qualifying. They weren't, if you weren't producing at a commercial level, Mm. you weren't getting any. A farm. Yes, you weren't considered a farm and you weren't getting any services. You weren't getting any opportunity for grants, for equipment shares, for things like that. And we had a group of people that wanted to do that. And in some ways, informally, they were doing that with each other already. Um, and so myself and, and uh, uh, my friends, Dear friend and colleague KK, who's now at Foodshed, we founded the San Diego Urban Growers Collaborative in 2017, which was a mix of agriculture and nonprofits. So, folks that you may have heard of Project New Village, you may have heard of the Second Chance Youth Garden, and in Canto, if you cruise down Imperial Avenue, they have a beautiful farm stand. Um, check it out every Friday. Um, but we had this mix of folks who were growing on a traditional urban farmer in San Diego. As we know, the the real estate the, the The pressure for real estate mm. is just the land development is just kind of like out of control um, if you have um and we need housing too, right but we also need places to to grow our own food we we deserve a system of community food sovereignty right and so we um we had folks that wanted to work together and to collaborate together for their own viability, for their viability of their nonprofits, for the viability of the farms that they were operating and, and, and really just for each other there. We, we were resources to each other. We knew we understood that, that we had that asset in each other already. And so we wanted to study it. We, we, we took a look at it and we, we started with a group of eight farmers and in the last Since 2017, I've worked with about, oh, like 22, 23 farmers, farm organizations to uh, figure out how can we collaborate to put out a beautiful CSA like this collectively? Um, How can we share tools and create a system of that? Um, one of the things we found as we were studying some of the needs that urban farmers has was if I am uh, if I'm going to harvest right um, I need to now get that to the consumer today because I don't have a place to put all this mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that was something as me at an institution like UCSD I can write a grant for that and we did and so in the last between 2020 and 2022 we gave out about $150,000 worth of cold storage walk-in equipment for urban farms and nonprofit agricultural organizations. So why does that matter, right? Why does it matter? I mean, I had no, there was nothing in my career up to this point that understood anything about refrigeration equipment. Um, and so, but I, I sort of was becoming an expert as I, as I went because we, we needed this refrigeration equipment on farms. And it mm-hmm. matters because now I can increase my harvest capacity. Now I can increase my aggregation capacity. I can get food from Palma Valley into City Heights, into s- southeastern San Diego. I can get food from National City, um, you know, into uh, Central San Diego a little bit further. We can combine, right? We can have different um, food hubs in different areas. So that cold storage was really critical to build up the, the capacity. So if I harvest, you know, now I don't have to worry about getting it to market right away. You know, there's other things, farm business that I can attend to. Um, so, for for my perspective of being able to recognize that farmers and gardeners and, um, you know, we're all existing in um, uh, sort of, we show up in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. But we're all kind of contributing to this collective. And what is happening in our urban environment is just as important uh, is what is happening in our rural communities, especially as as- since
1: the majority of people are moving from the rural area into the urban environment, absolutely. we have to address it at the urban mm-hmm. level
5: Abs- no question
7: yeah, absolutely wait do, you were going to yeah. say something right
5: now yeah. so what happens is in Mexico is a little bit the other way around we We have a lot of soil that we need to get agricultural uh, projects going. And there, You've got
1: land need farmers. Yes, oh, okay. and we have
5: a lot of uh, federal um, uh, programs to increase uh, the growth of uh, farming, And uh, but what we understood, because one of the things that we do in Santo Tomas, because we are the first winery, we've been, we've been making wine 135 years in Baja California, so... One of the things that we do is that we, we, we've created a foundation, and through that foundation we've done... What's the comp- name of
1: your foundation?
5: Elías Pando, Fundación Elías Pando. So what we've done in that foundation is that we've we've uh, created programs that impact our community, right? Because we can't not be responsible for, for, for the community being the uh, oldest company in the state, so uh, not... Whatever company we're the oldest one in the state. So what what we've um, what we've done, we've uh, analyzed uh, our closest community to the winery, which is in the south and Valle de Santo Tomas. And so what we've done there is that we've we've uh, we've seen. How it flows, right? What the kids do after school, what the women do when, or the people who stay at home do when uh, the people who go to work, uh, um, uh, what their activities are. And what we found is that many of them have already a lot of crops. Many of them have a lot of uh, vegetables and and fruits. And so what we're and they and they just let let them rot. Like Mm. many of the workers there are work in Santo Tomás, so they. Share their crops with us, which is great. But what we're trying to do with them is that we're trying to teach them how to do um, uh, compote, like yeah, like uh, compotes, compotes, jams, no, yes, sort of preserves, yeah, yeah, jams, yeah, pre- yeah, mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and and so what we do is that we we we've created a, a label or a brand for them to, um, to uh, it, from it's. It's owned by the foundation, but we do what we do is that we we help them do these products, and we put the brand in and we sell them in our wine tastings, um, uh, uh, giving a market stores. Yeah. So, and it's it's a really little like we have maybe two to three jams a week at the most, or or uh, ¿Cómo se dice conservas? Yeah,
1: con- conserve. <laughs> yeah. And serves, yeah, absolutely- I don't even know. <laughs> yeah,
5: sorry. Right. Uh, and and we sell them there, and and they feel so proud. Yes. yes. So we are creating farmers, mm-hmm. right? Because I, like here, there are many people who want to farm that can't. There we have a lot of farm that isn't uh, that nobody wants to farm
3: that. or that there isn't the market for them, or or
5: they or they just don't believe that they could make it, and Mm -hmm. they just rather go somewhere where you know they Mm. just get paid,
3: right? I just want to say that the CSA we haven't had to raise the price of the CSA since we started in 2013. From we started, I think at forty, can't remember if it was fifty six dollars or what it was per share. Got a subscriber in the audience here. <laughs> and now we're 65 per share, and that's what they pay monthly. But they get a box every other week. So oh, nice. imagine a box that has anywhere from 10 to 12 items in it is costing you like $30, $30 if you have two Wednesdays in that month. But if you have three Wednesdays in that month, we're actually providing it. Now here's the thing is it's a pay it forward CSA in the sense that you have, you're paying that on an auto debit monthly. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to resell it to you every month. But then what happens is you have to RSVP for every single box. Mm -hmm. So we send out an evite, which basically says, do you want your box or Mm -hmm. not? If they say no, but I'm on vacation because some people are not going to be home or whatever. Um, then they can either bank it, which means they oh, can like leave it on there and then call it out of us in another day, or they can gift it. If they, if they gift it to someone they know, we'll, we'll make sure that that person gets it, but they can donate it. Mm. So we have identified people who nice. are under-resourced that would love to have this harvest nice. share, but they can't afford it. And a lot of those folks during COVID were UCSD students. Mm-hmm. So we okay. were providing food to, to students during COVID, complimentary of their neighbors.
1: So you can a, tell she comes bit. from a finance background. That's <laughs> why she I, honestly no. the first time I met you, the way you bring such an innovative mindset and process to work that everyone is doing on some level, but you really do do it on a next level. And I applaud you because honestly, it's fantastic.
3: Well, I think that more than the person receiving the food, the person who said gift it Gifted. feels it. great. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's mm-hmm. their compensation mm-hmm. for having participated mm-hmm. in the program mm-hmm. is that they were able to do something because everybody needs to do something. Our earth is really groaning, right? We really have an issue here. And so if, anyone can, if everyone can get in where they fit in and we can create programs that stretch the seed like that and go deep, then we really, you know, we can continue to hire and train people to grow food. Because that's what we've been able to do is hire and train people to grow food so and that really they can do that for, for those each other.
0: opportunities, right? Of those innovative spaces. You know, we're talking about access to land and who is a farmer and what is that, and just being able to look at the gaps in the system and find the opportunities. Of mm-hmm. course, it's important that long haul uh, programs and having access. And at the same time, within the market, within all the markets and all the projects that we're looking at, there's opportunity to connect young farmers to the access. To me, that word is, is such a key word mm-hmm. about giving young farmers access to the experience of producing and mm-hmm. also the experience of having new ways to not only respond to the market, but create new markets. Mm-hmm. No? And in our experience in Phoenix Farms in Mexico City, one of my favorite programs is working with inner city youth that they train at our uh, urban center and then from there they can work in different projects in the countryside no? and that they get access to land. They're maybe not owners of that land at the beginning, but many of them have developed key relationships with the projects that they work on and they get to be part of a team and work. have that experience of you know, you know, starting to work with land, starting to own land. Where do they want to be? What kind of farmer do they want to be? So opening up also experimental experiences for young mm-hmm. farmers that yes they can become part of a, a mature system but also that they can you know be able to experiment as entrepreneurs uh, sometimes with someone else's capital or mm-hmm. someone else's land and that's something that as the long haul continues to happen like it's an innovation that we can make you know in the short term and in, in what we're all working with right mm-hmm. now is looking for those opportunities of how can we build you mm-hmm. oh, know, these, these opportunities and access for mm-hmm.
7: young people. But also, I would say, like, being able to contend with that tension of the market is not going to provide these solutions for mm-hmm. us, right? Mm-hmm. The the traditional <laughs> capitalistic markets have exploited and excluded <laughs> folks. Probably most of us on mm-hmm. this panel, even as women, right? So, um And I think then we have to think about like what you're talking about with innovation and thinking about what are some other pathways that we can support regenerative agriculture, regenerative thinking, uh, good health for all communities. And I think, um, you know, Americans, for some reason, they don't like the word uh, subsidy. They think that's a bad thing, right? Depends on what of, you're subsidizing. Yeah, but you were talking about the farm bill, and it's sort of, oh, it's always been so strange to me. I've been, you know, I've worked um, on, with funding for, for SNAP education, which is formerly known as the food stamp program. I've worked with funding on that for, you know, gosh, over 10 years. And it's strange to me that, you know, we we put people's nutrition and food, which should be a right, with crop insurance, with those mm-hmm. programs, which food is health, right? Food. So I think that, but those are subsidies, right? And so I think you know we we need to sort of think about other creative ways that we can um, secure income for farmers. Mm-hmm. And I think one one of the ways that we do that at CCH is. And and then also improving health is we have a really cool program called Mosque Fresco Plus that my my colleagues run and this is basically a produce prescription program so some of you might have heard the, of this kind of concept before right like food is medicine so instead of going to the doctor and saying like hey I you know I need diabetes medication mm-hmm. or that's what they might tell you I you need um, this <laughs> you're gonna get this instead and so now what if I can't afford this right mm-hmm. so that's where we come into play and then being able to now secure that that income for farmers like Foodshed, and we work with other farmers up in North County as well. And so um, we have, it's about, I think 300 people, 300 households annu- annually, they get a produce box delivered to their home twice, twice, a, twice a month. Um, it's locally grown produce in San Diego County. And all they need to receive that is they've signed, they've been referred by a clinic that they go to or another That's organization beautiful. that beautiful. they're tied Love to another organization that they're tied to, <laughs> Time to and us. right the demand for this is huge <laughs> the, the enrollment starts and stops really quickly because the demand is just huge and we can't we don't have enough dollars and you know to do that but if we did right and so like that that should be a right people should have access to to that food you know and having it be home delivered why does that matter right because um you know Everyone is busy. Everyone is busy. And having that convenience of being able to have um, this beautiful produce, you know, and then we pair it with nutrition nutrition education, we pair it with recipes, we pair it with, you know, teaching you how to properly store it. If it's something that you might be unfamiliar with, like chote, right? Like if if I don't if I don't know what to do with that, I'm, you know, it comes in my CSA bag. I don't want it to go to waste, right? So thinking about kind of that whole person, that whole uh whole household level health, but doing it in a way where now uh we can secure the income for farmers locally and pay them to grow that food for us. So now we are outside of the traditional system.
1: I think it's obvious that we could talk here, uh, <laughs> probably for the rest of the day and maybe the entire week. But we do have to wrap it up. I wait. You wanted to make one more comment? Go I just, ahead. I just want to minute. say, and the food is medicine piece and creating
2: new markets yes. to support mm-hmm. local farmers is mm-hmm. this is this is a big movement. There is a lot of momentum right now. Um, the White House national strategy is mm-hmm. big on this. There is the threat, though, that if we don't act now to make sure that the suppliers for these programs. Mm-hmm are the small, regional, regenerative farmers, we're going to have a problem. Look, all
1: all good policy can be co-opted by other groups that are not the ones you're intending to Mm -hmm. uh, assist. So look, there's so much here. I think what we really have, I love that you said regenerative Mm -hmm. thinking again, because I think that is the sum total of today. I'm so excited and proud and grateful for all of you being here with us today for this panel, our 12th future thought leader panel on UCTV. Thanks to everybody online. Thanks for those of you watching on UCTV, and we'll see you next time.
7: (laughs) You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.